the latest episode of the Brushwaters Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushwaters Union, Simon Berman. This month, I'm joined by Chris Masucci, who is one of the creators of Crystallum, 15mm epic battles in the far future, now on Kickstarter. Chris, how are you doing today? Hi, Simon. I'm so glad to be here, and I want to thank you for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really cool project. I'm backing it myself. Um, I'm excited to talk about Crystallum and what you're doing with, with Gaddis Games and uh, everything you got going on. So uh, welcome aboard. Where, where are you from to start? Uh, I'm actually right now in New Jersey, so you can uh, insert whatever joke you want right there. That's what I always <laughs> tell people on these podcasts when I say where I'm from. I'm, I'm a New Yorker originally, so I'll keep my, my wealth of New Jersey comments to myself. So actually, I was born in New York. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I lived in New York first before. Uh, I was born in Stony Brook. Uh, my family lived on Long on Island. Island. Yeah, while. yeah. I'm from White Plains. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. It's not that far. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> my friends went to Stony Brook uh, SUNY. But uh, cool, man. So you're, you're in Jersey, and uh, you've been, you're a miniatures gamer and a game developer, huh? Uh, yeah, it, it's odd to say. I, I kind of still feel weird saying uh, I'm a game developer now. I mean, I've, I've worked on some other projects, um, kind of more in the background. This is the first time I've kind of put myself front and center, and uh, it's it's totally, it's a, it's a different feeling. I am incredibly nervous all the time, Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's exciting at the same time. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's only been a few days. Your Kickstarter's almost funded. You're you're real close to the finish line there, and uh, I think you're doing great. So, uh, but you know, before we get into all the Kickstarter, why don't you tell me how how'd you get into gaming? What kind of games do you like? So originally, I think the first time I probably ever saw a tabletop game was I was a little kid. Uh, my neighbor at the time, he was older than us. He showed us his uh, Warhammer figures, right? Warhammer 40k. Yeah, yeah. This is going back to 2000 and two 2003 maybe so a long time ago um the game was in its third edition and i remember we just thought they were the coolest things these little plastic space warriors with chainsaws and you have to fight them against each other uh-huh. and uh, we played tons of uh tons of little games of warhammer when we were kids probably made up the rules as we went because you know never <laughs> sat down for five minutes and read a rule book so to be fair i think some of us still do yeah <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I regret is uh, probably destroying all of those old third edition Warhammer models as a kid. I was probably oh, no. about nine, ten years old, and now they're worth, what, $100 a box? Some the of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. So, yeah, at an early age, it was Warhammer, and then really kind of uh, stuck with Warhammer for a while. Didn't really, really get into it, uh, playing it until, I want to say, I was almost out of high school. I was going into college, and... Um, Started going to local shops and playing with people that way, and then kind of branched out to other games from there. You know, being a starving college student doesn't leave exactly too much money for Warhammer models. So I think a lot of people's hobby kind of goes fallow in their early 20s, doesn't it? Yeah, well, we jumped to other things like Flames of War. Sure. Um, even Battletech back then, which I still play now. I still play game. Battletech, yeah. yeah that, I'm, I'm dying to see what they do with that next. It's such killer stuff. And um, even a little bit of uh, War Machine. We used to play that, too. Oh, right on. That's, uh, that's, that's how I got started in the, in the profession, in the industry. But uh, what was your faction? Uh, oh, God, what did I have? I had Menoth. Nice. Religious guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Protector of Menoth. Yeah, yeah. I had them a long time ago. Again, I wish I had kept hold of any of those old models, but long lost the time at this point. Sure. So you were, you were gaming, um, and did you, were you kind of dabbling in game design at all, or did that come later on? So we'd always, um, uh, years previously, and, and honestly, kind of the roots of, of Crystallum even, we start with role-playing games. I think role-playing games are an easy way to kind of create your own stuff. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to build mechanics, right? You can kind of take the RPG setting, whether it's D&D. In our case, we, we really like the game. I still love it called Rifts. By oh, yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> I love that game so much. And, and we kind of got into it and really created our own world and um, aspects of it. We kind of, I, I, when I ran Rifts, I'd always carve out a por- portion of the U.S. that really wasn't uh, characterized too much in. The, yeah, yeah. I just made up my own stuff. And slowly, over the years of running multiple campaigns in that setting and then messing with it, the kind of foundations for what would eventually, you know, become now with the Crystallum game started to form, as well as, you know, uh, references to video games and movies and other media that we like as well. A lot of people are quick to point out the similarities between uh, some old uh, electronic arts uh, RTS games. Uh-huh. <laughs> And um, yeah, that's like that's kind of all in there. You kind of take inspirations from all these different things that you enjoy, and then really kind of getting into RPG. And this was all just like for private use kind of stuff too. Yeah, yeah, of course. To publish anything, it was always just like, hey, I came up with this cool thing. I read up uh, some Word documents on my computer, and then whether it was somebody's house or at the game shop, we'd sit down, we'd play some sessions of the role playing game, and um, yeah, just kind of go from there. Sure. So you were doing that stuff for fun, and uh, it, it, did that kind of stuff kind of turn into Crystallum, or or how did that go? How did Crystallum come about? So it really came about uh, because of yeah, because of the role playing game kind of setting that we built out that had kind of the early stages of it, and then what really pushed it over the edge and and, and made me and my, my small team of friends at the time really jump in and, and build something was uh, the COVID actually pandemic. Sure, kind of shut down all our offices, put a, most of us at home for you know extended periods of time so we were finally like hey let's sit down and let's just try to create something you know and, and i have a and i still talk to them too uh, a small group of guys that i play games with um it's unfortunately over the years it's become less and less as we all kind of get older and yeah a lot of us are nearing our 30s at this point um but we still play and we're still in touch and we were really like games such as Battletech, uh, Star Wars Legion, um, Warlord Games Bolt Action was a big game we all got into. And we we're kind of playing them all. We we're like, hey, we really like all these different aspects of these games. What if we kind of chopped them all up, we boiled them down to their base components, and we kind of built something that we like using all of these concepts. And then for the lore and the theming, we look towards our, our role-playing game settings that we we're working on. And uh, one of the kind of uh, visual styles I wanted to try and capture uh, was uh, we were really into diesel punk, which is kind of like World War II with sure. like mechs and lasers and monsters and all this cool stuff. And I, I've seen that a lot. You've seen that in video games like Wolfenstein. You see it in, in tabletop games like Conflict 47 or Dust or, or all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to see a game that took that idea of, of real world plus sci-fi, but kind of jump the tech base forward a bit. Uh-huh. Um, I, I know the World War II tech base and vehicles are so iconic and, and very popular and everybody loves them. But once you start getting to know, about 1950, you start to see more and more modern tech. You start seeing the T-series tanks, the T-50, the T-55. Yeah. You know, Jets and stuff, right? Yeah. Jets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You start getting the, the patents. You start getting the Sheridans. There's just so many cool vehicles, which a lot of them never really made it into mainstream consciousness because, and then thankfully, you know, the Cold War never went hot. But um, there's so many weird vehicles that were created, and they are all primed for slapping laser guns on. I'll tell you. hundred percent. That's cool. So, <laughs> Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, tell me what what is you Crystallum conflict in the far future? What what is the world of Crystallum, and why do I want to play a fifty millimeter epic battle there? 
So one thing we wanted to do, and we, we tried to play a lot of kind of mass battle games. Uh, one I really liked from a while ago was Epic. Epic 40K. I love Epic. Uh, I know, it's so awesome. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's never had an official revive. Still holding out hope. But um, it lives on really through fan um, mm-hmm. fan stuff and, and, and free PDFs. And so I really got into that for a while. And I kind of wanted to capture the, the feeling of playing a game like Epic in a slightly larger scale. I didn't want to go all the way up to 28 mil because then model-wise it starts becoming more cumbersome. Yeah. So I, I, I liked the 15 millimeter like matchbox size that the tanks are and you, you can still kind of have infantry squadrons you know, based yeah, on... Yeah, kind of that, that Flames of War scale, right? Yes, yeah, the Flames of War scale. And we had played a bunch of Flames of War, but we wanted to see a game that was more combined arms-centric and not just usually kind of parking lot tactics. Yeah. And we wanted to see something that was a bit more intuitive with uh, regards to having alternating activations and having different kind of... uh, little minutiae with the certain units because because flames of war is is, is and it, there's nothing wrong with it but it's very 40k centric it's very you know, sure you go and i know it's changed a bit with the unit cards and things like that now so we wanted to kind of hybridize epic with flames of war that was kind of the idea we want to smash it together so you get those larger models you get those more detailed figures um but you still get that kind of like back and forth play of epic we still have kind of like a first fire mechanic where you have guys hold their fire to go first um and, and it's it's very uh, objective-centric as well. So there's not a lot of just, oh, just go on over there and kill those guys. We want it to be like, all right, we got to get here. You got to secure this position, or you want to grab this resource, and you want to run it to the other side of the board, or there's objectives all over the place, and your units spawn randomly from reserves on different parts of the table, so your battle group gets scattered. <laughs> so um, it, it's kind of that that organized chaos of controlling a a company of both soldiers and vehicles and trying to get them to all work in tandem. I think, I'm sorry that I'm rambling here, but... No, no, it's great, go on. To boil down the the overall goal was to try to get the idea of a combined arms game on the table. I need my aircraft on the board because my opponent's going to have aircraft, and if I have air superiority, I can bombard their troops with little retaliation. Sure. I want to have infantry so I can take objectives, so I can storm buildings, so I can, you know, combat opposing infantry. I want to have tanks to take on opposing tanks or to combat infantry effectively if my opponent doesn't have uh, anti-tank assets. No, that's cool. Yeah, so it's like like a real combined arms game then. Yeah, yeah. Now we want to make sure that all the units feel like they have their role defined. Right on. So tell me about the, the setting and the, the world of, the, of Crystallum. It's, I know it's in the far future, but what's that far future like? So it all kind of starts in actually the early 90s when there is a, uh, I don't know if you know, in real life, we're kind of trying to reference some some real life stuff to make it still kind of that weird war, the, uh, the old Reagan Star Wars program. Sure. So in this universe, that was a real thing. They actually built a satellite laser defense grid that's sitting above the Earth. And during one of the early test firings, and by the way, it's a secret government project, so of course, of course they use uh, <laughs> some top-secret uh, crystalline power sources that they dug up from the Earth long ago and have kept secret. Good, so when good. they fire the laser down into Earth, it uh, unintentionally reacts with the rest of the crystallum that's in the Earth's crust and essentially causes a geologic disaster where the continents of Earth kind of break up 
Uh, it's called the shattering. We have the uh, land masses kind of shifting, messing about. It kind of causes a bit of an apocalypse. But instead of everything ending up in a kind of Fallout-esque or Mad Max where there's kind of nothing left and everyone's kind of groveling in the dirt off the remnants of society, enough time passes and enough of humanity uh, survives with enough technology that over time we see this kind of return to colonialism, this return to uh, more city-states instead of like united kind of nations. So we jump forward a couple hundred years. There's a new calendar that's started by the, the new countries of Earth. And essentially they are trying to not only regain this resource, expand their own influence, but some of them have their own kind of uh, ideas and goals as well. So we have things like the Federation of Columbia, which cropped up on the east coast of the United States, originally started as a city-state based mm -hmm. around the old New York area, got larger and larger and larger until it started to take over the entire east coast. And they believe not only do they need to kind of get stronger and grow, but that their birthright was the entire entirety of the old, old North American continent. Uh -huh. So they're starting to crusade now, essentially going westward and trying to take back the rest of the country. However, not all of the old American cities that survive necessarily want to be a part of that united uh, uh, federation again. Sure. So certain uh, city-states like Chicago that was brought under the fold shortly uh, before the game starts is constantly rebelling. There are other nations, other parts of the U.S. that have broken off. There is a, a conglomeration that we haven't really gone into yet in South America that's going to be uh, a key player at some point that's going to start making their way up into North America and bothering with the Federation. Then you have over in Europe, you have the Atlantic Council, which is a lot of the members of the old European Union that survived because that continent got so kind of changed over time. There's now a land bridge that connects Great Britain to the rest of Europe. They've kind of formed a uh, pseudo United Nations kind of thing where there's a bunch of different countries as one. And they're constantly fighting with the Vlast, which are the remnants of the old Soviet bloc which instead of being completely wiped out, even though the Soviet Union was such a large area, what happened is the technology that was that survived, and Moscow actually survived as well, was used to create these gigantic seed colonies, which are, imagine, like a giant hybrid tank factory that's gigantic. Yeah. And essentially, they can roll them up, they can... They can let the doors down. They produce all of their the weapons inside, and then they can just kind of roll them out, and they can take over areas with them. Awesome. And then finally, we have the monsters, the Crystallum Horde. Uh, that's the essentially the high, psychic hive mind that lives within these crystals that also kind of act as a power source. They have a malevolent intelligence inside of them, and humanity doesn't really know that too much at first. But they start to realize that once hordes and hordes of monsters start pulling themselves from the Earth, uh, the monsters can even infect uh, technology. They can take over old broken stuff and kind of conglomerate, smash it all up into uh, these ramshackle monsters, and even make their own vehicles that way. And they just constantly attack humanity, and no one really knows why. They don't know if it's some kind of survival reaction or if they have some kind of greater goal. Sure. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty complete world. Like, again, backing for the, um, the Crystallum dudes myself, but... Uh... Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me about the gameplay. Um, I know it's combined arms, but like, you know, what, what are the core mechanics? How does, how does the game play out? So the core mechanics are based off of a two-action system, and the game itself is broken down into three phases. So the first phase is the command phase, the second is the action phase, and then we have the end phase. So when you start a game of Crystallum, you buy out your little platoons, 
You have things like headquarters, uh, infantry, armored support, air support, and special units and fire support. And Should those we... represent. Sorry. Oh, Good. Let's see if I can interrupt and ask how does how do how do you build your army in the game too? So right now in the core rules, there's a very simple mechanic. If you remember the old uh, kind of callback to the old force organization charts that Warhammer used to have, everyone's got to have at least one headquarters choice. They can have up to two. Everyone's got to have at least one infantry choice, and they can have up to uh, four. Everyone must have um, a number of other units that kind of fill out the points, and they can have, I think, I believe, a maximum of three armored supports, two fire support, one aerial, and one special. And oh, actually, I should correct myself. I believe I have to have two infantry minimum, four maximum. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so you just build to those kind of restrictions. And in future content, or which we're actually working on now, we're going to have other types of detachments, uh, such as ones that focus on vehicles, one that focuses on infantry, one that actually focuses on just aircraft. And those numbers will change. And we're actually adding different commanders. Like you can put a commander in, a, in an aircraft. And have oh, them fly cool. around the battlefield yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, command other aircraft, which is I'm really dying to see. But um, that's how you build your list. So everyone will kind of end up. I, I when we play our games, we we tend to end up with about eight to nine activations each, with a standard kind of combined arms force. The command phase is kind of how everyone starts. You start by rolling initiative on 2d6. The player who wins gets to choose who goes first in the other phases. Your command phase is when your command models get to issue their commands. Every commander will have a command level, and their level determines how many commands they can issue. So if you're level 2, you can issue two commands. If you're level 3, you can issue three commands. Pretty easy to understand. The commands are every there. They kind of act as little cheats and ways to help your action economy. So commands will do things like move a unit for free, give a unit an aim token for free, um, reload some of the larger weapons, like tank guns when they fire, they need to reload. It lets them strip those reloads for free. So you can kind of get a leg up on your opponent and set up plays ahead of time. They let uh, units do things like overwatch prematurely before mm -hmm. they actually go so they can fire the unit on the move, essentially. Uh, there's faction-specific orders as well, such as the Crystalla monsters can actually heal some of their units because the crystals can kind of come back together and regrow. Nice. So some of your guys that are wounded can actually get their wounds back. Um, certain uh, You can target enemy units with certain commands. Like the Crystalum Horde can uh, essentially pick a unit and uh, psychically block it so it can't receive commands at all. While things like the Federation have such uh, shock tactics that they can pick a unit nearby one of their commanders and immediately force it to take a morale check. That's cool. Using um, intimidation tactics. <laughs> very cool. So um, as far as the activations, as far as the turns go, I should say, is it you go, I go, or is it alternating activations? How does that work? So it's alternating activations. Once everyone's commands are done, you'll go into the activation phase where the initiative player, or whoever the initiative player chose to go first, will activate. So you pick one of your units, and all the models and you will act together, and you get two actions. Some actions are... Uh, fast actions, which take a single action, and some are slow actions, which take a double. Uh, examples of fast action would be move, shoot, uh, overwatch, um, uh, interacting with objectives, things like that. Slow actions would be charging, uh, taking an aim shot, and certain things like that that take a little bit longer. And some objectives even to, to move them around actually take double actions. In the expansion, we have a demolitions mission where you have to place explosive on things and blow them up. And a unit has to take their entire activation to do it. So you're very vulnerable trying to get that objective done. Very cool. So is it very scenario-driven? 
Yes, yeah, the scenarios are in the core book. There's four of them, and they're, they're, they're pretty basic for now. There's a lot of objective capture. Two have static objectives, one with a, a standard three cap in the center, one where the objectives are scattered all over the board, and you, your units, when they come in from reserve, actually spawn randomly in different quadrants. So that one's really interesting because you really have to uh, figure out on the fly, oh, no, my tank spawned all the way over there, leaving my infantry over here without support. So sure. How am I gonna? How am I gonna get over there and yeah, yeah. You know, make it work? Um, we have an attack defense mission, and we have uh, one called mining operation, where the objectives actually have to be picked up and moved by infantry. Right on. Um, no, that's, that's cool. I I, I I prefer miniatures games that have a strong scenario driven. So, um, when you're building your army and picking, actually, here's another question for you: How do what distinguishes the armies from one another in terms of gameplay, and not just how they look? So we actually have the stats on a lot of the armies and their weapons kind of try to put forward a design mantra. So you have a army like the Atlantic Council, who are supposed to be more, <laughs> and then my friend likes calling them this, he likes calling them uh, European space elves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not elves in the game, but... Uh, yeah. He kind of like it some Eldar a lot because they have uh, very fast-moving units with uh, very high-powered laser-type weaponry. So their um, Chevalier tank, for instance, is a pretty big, intimidating-looking vehicle. They cost a lot of points, but they can move faster than the other factions' vehicles, and their lance cannon hits very hard, and because it's a focused, rapid-fire laser, it doesn't actually have to reload. Oh, cool. Whereas you have something like the Vlast, where their vehicles are essentially repurposed old Soviet tanks that all they did was slap a uh, Crystallum-type weapon on them, uh -huh. like a, a newer weapon, essentially. And so they, they tend to be a bit cheaper, but they are more unreliable. So mm -hmm. they have a rule where if they start taking hits and they start taking damage, you actually have to roll to see if the chassis just starts to fall apart and you take more damage uh, as, a, as a result. Ouch. Their guns, for instance, are very long range because they've last kind of built towards things like rail cannons and gauss cannons because they're very easy to build out in our universe without having too much advanced tech. So essentially they just have, they throw super heated, super fast projectiles at you and they don't worry about lasers too much. Uh, so their weapons are very far ranged, but they're on very weak chassis and they have to reload when they fire. So that mm -hmm. kind of takes extra actions. Reloads take actions to shed. So you have to be very, very careful about when you want to fire some of your larger weapons. Very cool. So that's, that's two, that's, I guess it's three factions you've talked about? Uh, it was two. The other two, two would be the Federation. The Federation and uh, another one of my friends uh, just describes it as the Space Marine faction. They're a uh -huh. bit of the all-arounders. They have de decent attack, decent defense, uh, a bit shorter range on their vehicles, uh, still needing to reload, but they have very specialized units that they can field. Their heavy tank, for instance, instead of mounting a big cannon like the Atlantic Council one and the last one, which mount a very big, powerful weapon, the Federation one actually mounts a rapid-fire minigun that can cut through infantry Tree. Nice. So it's so instead of being the kind of standard heavy tank, it's hey, I'm a, I'm an anti-infantry heavy tank. I want to rock up and I'm going to like fire, you know, my chain gun and my machine gun into that infantry squad and just shred guys. You know? Yeah. Um, and they have a number of other very specialized units as well. Uh, we kind of kind of flip the dial on them. Their scout unit is the, actually the one with the big heavy cannon. So they have these kind of essentially like little trucks that drive around with gigantic cannons awesome. that are almost the size of the vehicle, and they can punch a hole in an enemy tank. But if they enemy tank gets the shot off first you're probably gonna lose that truck yeah kind of, kind of glass cannon situation yeah 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 and um 
finally, the so, so very specialized oddball vehicles with the Federation and very kind of uh, hardy standardized infantry. And then with the uh, Crystallum, that's when it gets really, really weird. And we really kind of want to do something weird for them because they're not a stand-up human army. They're, they're creatures. Right. In some ways, they have units that are similar to us, to the others, but we wanted them to be completely different. So their entire command structure is completely different. Instead of having a tank or a guy on foot that's going to give commands out, the Crystallum, for now, only have a single command choice, and it's called the Command Node. And it's essentially this big metal contraption that holds a crystal inside that's psychically uh, awakened, and it can kind of broadcast awesome. out to its allies. So it's this big, tough thing. It has a bunch of health, and it has a pretty powerful attack if you get close, but it's essentially immobile. You can never move it once you place it, so you have to be very careful about where you place it. But its kind of hook is that you can buy up to two of what are called walker nodes. And you can buy them as upgrades for its unit. And it's one of the few units in the game that doesn't have to maintain coherency. These little walker nodes are essentially these little mechs with these big broadcast crystals growing out the top of them. And they can walk around the field wherever you want. And when you issue a command, you can issue it from the command node itself or either of those walkers. Very cool. So essentially, the better you play with that unit, the wider range your commands go. Yeah, I dig it. Reminds me a little bit of um, arc nodes from uh, for Crix and War Machine. Yes, yeah, a similar kind of thing where you, you and you have to be careful about protecting them as well too. You don't sure, want them to get bodied and then they can attack back as well. As for infantry, the Crystalla monsters uh, have a bunch of infantry choices where the other factions are kind of stuck with two. These guys uh, have three in the core book. They have their standard shattered men, which are essentially zombies, uh -huh. infected humans that uh, shamble about, try to scratch and bite at other, other infantry. So they are really cheap. They have no guns and they want to move forward in a big horde. Then you've got the brutes, which are these kind of big golems of metal and stone and crystal. And they are small squads, but they're really tough and they hit really hard. And essentially, if they charge a unit of tanks, they can tear them to shreds, which is always fun to see. Yeah. And then their final unit is the one that's a bit more kind of in the middle. Uh, if you want an answer to your enemy's rifle teams, you can have what are called the Crystallum Assassins, which are more another humanoid-type unit, and they have uh, one of their entire arms is a gun. And they can actually uh, choose between a few different guns. Uh, the guy, I believe they can grab a long-range heavier gun or a shorter-range lighter gun because they kind of mutate their uh, little arm and decide what projectiles they want to fire before the game starts. And um, you really get some kind of weird flexibility there. Their, their vehicle units are also kind of strange. You have the crawlers, which are um, more tracked kind of vehicles, tanks. And then you have the shamblers, which are actually mechs that walk around and have big, heavy guns. And then finally, the monstrosity, which is their special unit. We haven't even talked about the special units yet. Yeah, yeah. Tell me all about them. Those are really big kind of spider-looking mechs, and you can actually squadron those up. Whereas the other factions right now, you kind of get one single model as your special, and it's like a super heavy. The Crystallum can actually group them up in little groups of two. Oh, that's cool. And they can they can shoot, and they can assault, and uh, they are a force to be reckoned with if you let them get too close. Yeah. So what, what other kind of special uh, uh, units are there? So the special units, we had tons of fun making. Those were kind of the army centerpiece. And uh, uh -huh. actually, all four of them are available on the Kickstarter now. So we have the uh, Federation of Columbia gets what's called the Columbia tank. And shout out to my buddy, Roberto, who was uh, kind of the design brains behind the Federation. He loves tanks and he loves kind of all sorts of military vehicles. So he wanted to make a giant super heavy tank. And it's pretty big. Even in 15 yeah. mil, it dwarfs the other vehicles. Awesome. It's kind of this massive... It, it really reminds me of the Alexander tank from um, 
Uh, Drop Zone Commander. I love that. Oh, game. sure, yeah. Amazing game. So, so it's not something like that. And for the Federation, because the Federation are crazy, you can put a tank commander in it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so if you want your tank commander to be driving around the biggest, baddest thing on the field, you can do it. Although I do notice, though, when I do that, and I have this big, expensive, giant tank, everyone just kills it first. Oh, yeah, it's going to drop the fire, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just dies immediately. Like, turn two, and I'm like, oh, my gun's at that. And I'm like, come on, I want it. Yeah, really screw that, that tank in particular. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so that's the Columbia tank. You, you can field it as um, just a standard super heavy tank. You can put a commander in it. You can have uh, a commander driving around in one. You can have a, a normal one driving around. So you can have two on the list if you want. And uh, that thing's awesome. It's got um, a big cannon, uh, machine gun. It has a little special rule that lets it overcharge its cannon to get uh, more firepower. So it is a definitely fun unit. It's got a lot of health, and it's definitely something you can uh, threaten an entire kind of board edge with. But then when your opponent goes, I really hate that thing, I'm going to get rid of it. It tends to be a big target for aircraft and artillery. Sure. Uh, speaking of artillery, actually, segues into the Vlast, who get a large artillery super heavy piece called the God Hammer. Awesome. Which is armed with the uh, Redemption Heavy Howitzer right now. And actually, uh, when we do the uh, rules update and FAQ, it's going to get an additional weapon called the Damnation Airburst Launcher. And essentially, it is a giant artillery platform that has the longest range of everything, of anything in the game, 40 inches. That's, uh, I think, the highest we've gone so far. Um, and you can pick something on the on the board and just bombard it. And uh, artillery is very kind of risky in the game. It, it it can fire without needing line of sight, of course, but it has tends to have a low accuracy. We don't have templates in the game, so essentially you can fire at things uh, you can't see. You take an accuracy penalty, and there's a couple other restrictions on when and when you can't fire artillery. But when the God Hammer hits, it destroys. You're talking uh, Pierce two on its cannon, which knocks out any infantry armor for the most part, and uh, brings vehicles up to maybe a five or six up save at, at best. And if they can't make that save, they're taking three damage per hit, which means most units are are going down. Yeah, that's cool. It's like a big railgun looking thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It just arcs like a big energy blast, essentially, awesome. kind of like the uh, Wraith tank from uh, old Halo games. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. We have a cool uh, piece of art that's actually going to show up in the in the book we're working on now, um, of it firing. It's charged up this big blue laser. Um, so the other two super heavy units, I think we talked a little bit about the uh, the Crystallum monstrosity so far, but those are big walkers that kind of look like crabs or spiders. They can have uh-huh. shields in the front of them. And they are both, that's the one unit that could do melee effectively. So the monstrosity can crawl around, it can swipe at units with its big shield arms, and it hits hard. And not only does it hit hard, it's got a big cannon on the front, which also hits very hard if we get it close. And the special thing about those guys is they can group up. You can have two in a unit. So if you're lucky enough to kill one, they're still coming at you. Sure. Um, so I'm, and I'm really happy with that model. I've got a ton of good feedback on that model, and it's up right now on the Kickstarter, and I know a lot of people are itching to get it. But not to leave off the final faction, and this, this unit may not be as glorious as the others, but it okay. has a functionality that is paramount in Army List, and that is the Dover Deflector for the Atlantic Council. It's a bit unassuming looking. It almost looks like a giant truck. And someone okay. actually commented on Facebook. We have these kind of like big hexagon pattern things on the back. 
Uh, it's meant to be a shield generator. And someone on Facebook said, it looks like a speaker truck. You should make a mech with a big guitar to hook it up to. <laughs> and I said, that's so awesome. We may have to do it at some yeah. point. Even if just a joke model for like a special thing. Uh, I'd love to do that. But but uh, in the game, the Dover Deflector is uh, still, still has decent health. Not that much firepower, though. It's more of a defensive vehicle. And essentially what it does is it shields itself and it shields all friendly units within six inches. And essentially, anytime your, your opponent now wants to fire at one of those effective units, they take an accuracy penalty because it's broadcasting a shield that's distorting the air kind of around it, making it harder to actually find out where those enemy infantry and tanks are sitting. Very cool. That's cool. Yeah, I feel like it, it feels like you've succeeded in having each of those specific kind of speak to the, the, the soul of what each faction does, which I assume was your intent. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we had, we had so much fun making those units. Uh, all the units in general were, were were tons of fun to make, but the the super heavy ones we really kind of kind of grabbed some oddball concepts. And yeah, no, that's really cool. So I, I want to ask you a somewhat more difficult question. So when it comes to this game, when you're playing it, what 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 is it, what what are the inspirations and things that like in other media and other games that you want people to feel like? Do you want to feel like a, like a World War II movie? Do you want to feel like a, like a sci-fi like like what what is the thing? What is the thing that happens in the game that you go, "Wow, this is this is cool"? Oh man! So I've got I've got actually a great answer to that question. So you want to be sitting there, and you want to almost be drawn back. Think back to the early two thousands when when you know PC gaming was uh, RTS PC gaming. Yeah, yeah. You boot up you boot up Command and Conquer Tiberius. Sure. And you're sitting there, you're building your bases, you're harvesting that Tiberium, you're building your mammoth tanks, you're building all of the crazy cool looking stuff, and you're sending them at your opponent, and you're just like, this is awesome. I'm playing the faction I want, I got the units I want, I'm sending my tanks, my infantry, I'm putting them where they need to be, I'm countering you know, my opponent's armor with my armor, I'm getting air support in there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to kind of recapture those those old days, and I used to play a ton of those games. Uh, yeah, oddly, oddly enough, when I was a kid, um, it wasn't really sci-fi. I, I was really into Age of Empires, Age of sure. Empires too, and um, a lot of people, yeah, really kind of look at it and they go, "Yeah, that really reminds me of uh, really reminds me of old PC games," and uh, you just see people so happy to be like, "Hey, I remember the I remember what those games were like." Then I remember, you know, booting up those games on my old Windows XP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was super into um, StarCraft and uh, the Dune RTS. If you've ever played that one, which is probably predictable for me, but I've actually never, I've never really been into Dune. Not because I dislike it, just I've, I've actually never oh, really been exposed to it. If you can get their old RTS for Dune, it was awesome. <laughs> like it was super <laughs> cool. But, uh, but yeah, no, I love it. Like, so you kind of got that that RTS feel. And I, I, I'm that really excites me. Actually, that makes me want to play the game a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we're really, really dead set on just making even more and more content. Um, we're working on content right now, actually. Uh, yeah. More expansion stuff. I've showed a lot of stuff off on the uh, Facebook group and things there, but we have three new factions we're working on. We have um, tons of new models, and I'm, I'm really dead set on continuing this past the Kickstarter. It's not going to be a one and done. That's great. Um, we have a lot more stuff. I actually even have... Um, <laughs> And to give you some insight on just how we come up with ideas sometimes, um, I, I came up with this idea. It's stuck in my head now. And even though we're working on we're working on expansion material now, we kind of kind of close the door and adding any more to that book right now because it's in layout and we're, we're dealing with all that. But sure. after the Kickstarter, maybe into the fall, maybe even next year, um, when we start you know looking at, hey, let's do some more content. I really want to do a unit 
for the Atlantic Council that uh, we have some cool art of the Atlantic Council guys coming in the expansion book. Which, by the way, I do want to figure out the best way of getting that um, to some people and, and figuring out how to integrate that with Kickstarter. I just can't say anything about it yet because it's sure. still so early in production. Yeah, no worries. But uh, we have some really great art of uh, kind of my take on uh, Gunblades. I really love the Gunblade look from uh, like games like Final Fantasy and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I wanted ours to look super heavy and cumbersome and not like you're wiring a pistol into it, like you're wiring a freaking cannon into it. Awesome. <laughs> I, got, I got a Claymore and it's also a howitzer, you know, like something crazy <laughs> like that. Um, so I was thinking of these units um, that, that kind of play off that. And wouldn't it be cool if they had a Gunblade, but instead of a, a normal gun, they have rocket launchers on their swords. So they have RPGs cool. on their swords. They can fire, they can run up to enemy, the idea would be they run up to enemy transports, fire the rocket launchers into the transports to blow them up, and then as all the survivors are scrambling out, they charge in with giant great swords. <laughs> as you do. As, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad. So the, the idea is just stuck in my head. And, and one of the options, one per unit at least, has to be able to switch out their rocket launcher with a flamethrower. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> I love it. Uh, actually, one quick question for you. What sure. size board do you play the game on? Uh, it is a 4x4. Four four okay. For the so standard pretty... 450 points. Right on. I should have asked that earlier, but it just popped into my head. So that's what great. I do want to talk about is tell me about the Kickstarter. So you're on Kickstarter right now. You're you're a couple hundred bucks away from funding, so that's going to happen any moment now. Um, if I if well, I'm already backing the Kickstarter, but if I wasn't, what, how would I go about backing it? What would I get for my, for my dollars? So right now we have a lot of uh, stuff on there, essentially. We actually have a lot of content. Um, there are two ways to buy in. You can choose to either go the digital route or you can choose to go the physical route. Uh, the digital route is pretty self-explanatory. You're buying STL files. Mm-hmm. And we have that split up to where you can buy little faction bundles. You can say, hey, I really like the Federation units. I want that. I want the council, blah, blah, blah. Or you can do it, which I noticed a lot of people have done, and just go, hey, I want I want all the STLs. I'll buy into the combo pack, and then boom, done. Um the way that works, obviously, is at the end of the Kickstarter, when everything clears up and we get all that figured out, uh, that'll be going out emails and everybody will get the STL files and you can print them and modify them and, you know, do whatever to your heart's content. Sure. I, I really, really, really want to see all the cool stuff people do with uh, with the figures. And I think um, seeing people print them out, and paint them and all that jazz is going to be amazing. Yeah. So that's one option. The other option is to buy physical models. Um, we have bundles of physical models. Those are all limited. We have everything from large army bundles that give you pretty much an entire, you know, big set that you can play the game with, uh, with tokens, dice, and all this stuff, uh, and, and physical rule books. Uh, those are limited. We have to unfortunately limit everything physical because, um, again, it's a very small operation, and I, I would never want to overpromise to anybody. Sure. So. There are hard limits on a lot of the physical stuff. Um, you can buy units a la carte if you want. You can buy small faction bundles if you just want one faction. And you can add in on uh, other units a la carte as well to kind of build out your order. Um, all of the models are going to be done in resin. Uh, infantry bases will be plastic, of course. Okay. Uh, the infantry men themselves will be resin. Everything else will be resin. And we have a manufacturer lined up for that already. And um, they're, they're nice models. They're going to be done on, I don't know the actual specs, but they're going to be done on like an 8K, like that top of the line uh, printer. Oh, cool. And they're going to be, they're going to come cleaned up. Everything's going to be cleaned up. You're not going to see any marks or any of that 
junk on anything. They're going to be cleaned up. They're going to look exactly like you know a resin cast model you'd see. Uh, I have a bunch of them with me, and they are just gorgeous. Uh, I want to shout out to Kinetic 3D Printing. They're going to be our manufacturer. Uh, Jay runs that company, and he's just amazing, amazingly talented guy. And essentially, you'll get them like little model kits. Uh, some of the some of the tanks, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll have to glue the tracks on, and then the turrets sure. rotate, stuff like that. Some are more simple, where you know they kind of kind of like the Federation vehicles. The the tracks are kind of incorporated into the body. They they kind of have that armored skirt sitting on top. So that's all one piece. So some of that will vary. Your infantry, all you have to do is glue them to the bases they come with, and you'll be ready to go. It's really not an assembly heavy game. I think the most you'll see is the Vlast tanks need the track sides glued onto the body. And some of the wheeled vehicles got glue wheels on. Sure, not a big deal. All right, so uh, I'm going to kind of let you go, but thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I'm really excited to get my own hands on these figures. Um, but again, it's on Kickstarter right now, and uh, you've got, what, a couple more weeks left? You're going through, what, end of June? Uh, I think July 7th is when it ends. Yeah, because we started the 7th. It's only been like five days. Yeah, yeah you're just you're just getting into it. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get my own Crystallum dudes. If you're listening, uh, check the show notes for a link to uh, Crystallum on Kickstarter right now. And uh, Chris, man, thanks so much for talking to me. I'm really excited to see this stuff, and I wish you all the best. Simon, thank you so much. I am grateful for any opportunity anyone gives me, and I am just so grateful that anyone would want to would want to talk to me and, and hear about this cool stuff. The Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushwieldersunion.com. Thank you.